Let's open the Word of God, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. As we work our way through the book of 1 Peter, Peter wrote two books in the New Testament, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And this is the Peter who uh, occasionally said things he shouldn't have, and yet the Lord loved him anyway. And uh, 30 years after the resurrection, this is a guy who's really developed as a person spiritually, as well as gotten a little bit older, a little wiser. And so you're getting uh, a lot of divine viewpoint uh, perspective in, a, in a, a small package. This is very nice and uh, concise in the way he speaks. But, uh, you know, I think we ought to give Ken extra credit for coming to church today because, I mean, he, he almost literally came from the hospital uh, with his nurse, Carol, uh, to church, and I appreciate that. But what you don't know is that last Sunday, Ken and Carol have volunteered as a married couple, which I think is great, and I wish more people would do that, but most of us don't have strong enough marriages to do it. But they have volunteered to be on the nursery rotation like once every other month on, during second hour as a married couple. And I don't know if you've thought about uh, your uh, blood clots and other issues this week having to do with the trauma of having to deal with the toddlers for an hour. Uh, I hope that uh, wasn't the problem. And if it was, I hope there's no legal liability uh, for the church. But now, actually, Carol had sent me a text earlier this week before Ken's medical issues, and I think tongue-in-cheek, but she said, I, I uh, nominate the TBF toddlers as heroes of the week because they were so good for them back there. But uh, I think Ken speaks their language, so I think it probably helps. First uh, Peter chapter 1, we'll look at verses uh, 22 through chapter 3. 2 verse 3, okay, so let's look at 1, 22 I should say, I'm sorry. First Peter one we we'll read through 2 verse 3. Since you have in obedience to the truth receiving the gospel, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, for your fellow believers, male or female, here's the command, fervently love one another from the heart. And the command's actually a form of agapao, which focuses not on our emotions, but on our volition, us deciding to seek one another's best good by, among other things, avoiding unnecessarily spreading malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander about them, as Peter will say a few verses later. For you have been born again when you trusted Christ, so you have the capacity to do this, not of seed which is imperishable, physical, but imperishable, spiritual. And that was through the living and enduring Word of God. The gospel is not the entirety of the Word of God, but it's the very core of the Word of God. For all flesh, all humanity is like grass. It's fragile, fragile, and very temporary. For all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you, which you believed you have eternal life and you have a capacity to please God in part by loving fellow believers, loving those who are his. Therefore, in light of all that, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and the reason he has to command believers, Michael, to put away 
malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander because some of them are full of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander. And all of them, including everybody in this room, is capable of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all slander. So instead of doing that, every negative in the Bible is usually a corresponding positive in the same context. So Glenda, like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the word. Let God speak to you so you can love his people as opposed to your ego speaking to yourself and you can put people down so that by it you may grow spiritually, grow in respect to your salvation if, and it's true, since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Really a great passage and I love it very much. It's been very meaningful to me. Um, let's pray for our uh, teachability this morning. Anthony, let's pray for our uh, firefighters and our peace officers, and our active military. And Michael, Birch, lead us in prayer in that direction, would you? <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, you know, if I were beyond the, the purpose statement, which is what you start with, what Peter says specifically, I would, if you ask me to kind of sum, summarize in a sentence, in a statement, what's the book of First Peter all about? So Clay, you know, after you read this book a lot and study it for several months, you ought to be able to kind of have an elevator pitch. What could you, what could you say in an elevator ride with somebody the book's about? I would say in a single, probably run-on sentence, that this book is telling Carla Buchanan or uh, Kay Massey or uh, uh, Jan Palovic or Brad McCoy that we are to trust and obey the Lord now as temporary duty exiles on earth encouraged to keep trusting and obeying him despite all of the difficulties we deal with by an active, joyous anticipation of being at home with Jesus for eternity. That's what the book is saying, basically, in a statement. And I know that skeptics don't believe in Jesus for eternity, but we do, so we need to live as if we do. We need to kind of move that uh, kind of through our head, into our heart, and out our feet, and into our hands. I'm talking about uh, a joyous anticipation uh, as Sawyer gets a little bit older, and it's going to be very traumatic. First day of school, boy, and it's right around the corner. He's only he's three, but he'll be five or six like that. So just savor every moment because they grow up on you. But, uh, you know, a lot of kids go to school, and the thing that keeps them going is this joyous, active anticipation of going home after school's over. But that doesn't always work out well. So I have an example. It's a true story. Uh, first grader and his mom, after the boy, he walked home from school, he just lived across the street, uh, arrived uh, home at 1.15. School isn't over at 1.15 on a Tuesday. Mom, why did you get out of school so early? First grader, I was the only one in my class who could answer a question. So that's pretty impressive. What was the question? Who threw the eraser at the principal? So you have to be careful. Book of First Peter is one of those 27 gems, inspired books by apostles, or those who knew and worked with the apostles in your New Testament. And it's all about uh, how to live your, your faith under fire. And, you know, everybody's got issues, and uh, I know most of you well enough to know about some of those. I mean, like Ken and Carol, uh, you know, right around Christmas time, Real foggy. He was involved in a, a, what could have been an extremely serious and uh, and uh, uh, dare I say fatal 
uh, accident. It wasn't his fault, but uh, he went through that. And he lost his truck. But as I told Carol recently, you can always get a new truck, but you can't get a new Ken. So we're very glad we uh, have a new truck and the old Ken. And so that happened in December, and then they had to take care of the toddlers in second hour last week. That's pretty traumatic, but they did that very nicely. And then this week we've had some blood clots. So, um, you know, we all live faith under fire. Now, the, the fire the original readers are, are dealing with is active persecution just because they're, they're Christians. It wasn't a physical issue necessarily, although they probably experienced some physical issues after having to get away from the bad guys. Things can happen. And we're all very, very uh, fragile in many ways. So um, Christians all the time are dealing with difficult circumstances. So how do you deal with that? And so this book's kind of a primer on that. And it's really uh, Christian Living Under Fire 101 and 102. The first part, and we're in the second aspect of this first part, uh, describes a summary of what we believe as Christians. So we've got to remember kind of what our basic premises are and our basic connection with God is, and then a survey of Christian works. And so we're talking about what your, how your Christian life should be worked out, Sue, in the way you think and interact with other Christians here in this larger section of a unit we're looking at in part today. And then after a purpose statement in the middle, we're going to get Christian Living Under Fire 102. And we're going to see the importance of submission to human authority, even non-believers who are uh, legitimately in positions over us at work or politically or in our community or in different things, uh, we should submit to them until or unless it's a direct sin to submit to human authority. And then he deals in detail with suffering. But as Steve's pointed out, you know, Peter, uh, as you read through that book in one sitting repeatedly, you'll see he tends to repeat things a lot. And, you know, as, as a teacher, I know that repetition is the mother of retention. And so, uh, like I always like to say, there are some things in the Bible hard to understand. And for me and James, that's job security. We need some things hard to understand so we can try to explain them for you uh, as imperfectly as we do, but we do our best. But, you know, the main things in the Bible are plain things, and they get repeated a lot. And so there's really no no excuse. But this isn't unusual, but right in the middle of his book, he tells you exactly why he's writing. Invariably, the biblical authors will have a purpose statement somewhere. Sometimes at the beginning, sometimes at the very end. Sometimes like Ephesians or here in First Peter, it's right in the middle. And basically, this is my paraphrase, 2, 11 through 12 is the purpose statement for the book. And he's saying, as spiritual aliens, part of a persecuted, misunderstood minority group, short-timers on earth, Christians, I mean, you know, Kyleen Driggs and uh, Katie Davis should not be controlled just by our emotions or our feelings. Let's let those be responders. Let's let our initiators be kind of truth and what we know about truth and what we know about God. But we should consistently live our faith centered on our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. So that unbelievers who slander us because we're believers, we're backward and we're repressive and this kind of thing, the way they think of us sometimes. We'll see the reality of Christ in our lives. I mean, you've got to love him when you see him. Uh, imperfect, they're not going to see Christ perfectly in Brad McCoy's life, but maybe certain aspects will come out. And ultimately, these unbelievers will glorify God by coming to him in faith. That's what happened to Bob Shallot. You know, for a long time, some of you heard the story, but 
uh, you know, the first time I spoke to this congregation as the formal official pastor of Tangwood Bible Fellowship, we were back in the youth room, which was the auditorium at the time, and I didn't know who Bob was, but uh, the same lectern we used for Wednesday nights, that was the pulpit, and they got the orange chairs and kind of a big U, and I'm standing there, and I do my thing. I don't even remember what passage it was, but Gene had dragged Bob to church, and they were sitting right in the middle, right in the front row in the middle. And, you know, Bob was nothing if not erudite and articulate and a gentleman, and he's standing there. He didn't have a Bible, but he just not standing there, sitting there, and uh, kind of looking at me and trying to laugh at the jokes and kind of nodding and seemingly following me. And I thought, hmm, I haven't met him yet, but he looks like a good guy. And as soon as the closing prayer is over, he makes a beeline to me, and he says, young man, and this was so long ago, I was at the time. Young man, you've done a great disservice to all the Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus in the world. And I'm like, I wasn't expecting that. And I said, huh? <laughs> and uh, it turns out that he had grown up in a Jewish family, wasn't sure what he believed about God, but he knew he wasn't a Christian. And then he kind of, uh, you know, would, with starts and stops, you know, he would come to things usually involving food. But that's okay, you know, I mean, that's one way to get him to start. And so, you know, he would be part of us uh, on and off and this and that. And he eventually decided um, they may be crazy, but they're not dangerous. You know, that's the first step. You know, they, they may be crazy, but they're not dangerous. And so, you know, I, I can interact with them and that's okay. And then he kind of got where he really liked us. And Debbie noticed, a lot of people noticed that he would just sing out on those hymns. Some of these great old hymns have all the theology of the whole gospel in there. And here's a guy who's a confused Jew who knows not much about theology, but he knows he doesn't believe in Jesus. And he's singing these hymns with emotion, you know. And you go, wow. But, um, uh, you know, he got to the point where, uh, and I told this to, to his face, I said, you know, uh, you like us, and we're Christians, and you're really starting to like Jesus as a Jew, but you just think we're just too specific. So when we say you've got to believe in Christ to have eternal life, that'd be like he just would kind of giggle, that we actually believe that. He thought that was really cute because that'd be like me saying, let's say I'm a big Chevrolet guy and I'm not a car guy at all. But, you know, some people just love Chevys or Fords or some specific brand. So it'd be like me, Kitty, saying, well, if I really believed that the only way you could get from Duncan to Oklahoma City was in a Chevy, that I literally believe in my world that Fords weren't going to get there, they'd break down or whatever, whatever I believed. You know, if you had a friend like that who was perfectly normal in every other area, but he really believed the only way to get from here to Oklahoma City was in a Chevy, you would humor him. You'd kind of think it was cute, you know, that he actually believed that. But you, Dwayne, you know better than that. You know, any good functioning vehicle will get you there. So that's kind of where he was for a long time. He knew we believed in Jesus, but he just thought we were way too specific. He just thought, you know, just obviously God's going to let the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. But... uh yeah, you know, he was one of those guys that watched, not me so much, and he watched me pretty closely for sure, because <laughs> I'm a paid professional Christian, you know, you guys are good for nothing, so uh, that's a bad joke, but uh, you know, he befriended a lot of us, and we befriended him, and he eventually kind of saw Christ in our lives, maybe a little bit in me, and a lot more in Sue, and a lot more in Gene, and some in Janice, and over a period of time, God opened his heart, and he saw and believed in Christ, so... Uh, I've seen that happen, and it does happen. David Bearden, very similar kind of situation. So, um, you know, evangelism is an event. It's not a point act. It's just like a long, 
in football, it's like a long offensive drive. The OU Sooners, they get, you know, backed up on the two yard line and they slowly but surely over 10 or 12 or 15 plays score a touchdown. And the team is so winded when they get to the one yard line, they may pull in a whole new running back and they hand the ball to him. He jumps over the line. He scores the touchdown. And the guy that did all the work is thinking, golly, he, he got the touchdown. I didn't. I'm, you know, good players don't think like that, of course. But I, that's kind of what evangelism is. When somebody leaves somebody to the Lord, you just had the privilege of seeing it happen. <laughs> you know, trust me, God has used a lot of stuff to get him there. And although we don't look to suffer, we're not masochists, we need to realize that one reason that God allows Christians to have blood clots and Christians to have uh, uh, truck wrecks because of fog is so the world, uh, why is he, it's one thing if an unbeliever, a, a drug dealer or child molester that happened to them, something bad happens to them, you say, well, good, they deserve that. But why does God let that happen to Christians? Well, in part, so that the world can See the difference, really. Our passage looks like this. We've got two parts. First, verse 22 through 25, we are to love other believers we're talking about primarily because we are loved by God. We, we ought to love God's because his people, because he loves us and made us one of his people. And then we love God and others by loving and living the word of God. Now, I didn't write these verses, Lance, but boy, I'm glad they're in there. As a Bible teaching pastor, that's that's what I like. Now that's the way the passage is broken down. But you know the theology of this is our love for God is the primary thing, and that allows us and enables us to love one another. So let's look at that first portion, uh, verses twenty-two through twenty-five, and look at verse twenty-two first. The love of God through us is based on the love of God to us. Look at verse twenty-two. Since you have an obedience to the truth proclaimed, the gospel proclaimed, purified your souls. He's not speaking theologically there. God's the one who purified your souls, but you've had your souls purified, so that's your standing now. For, among many other things, one reason God saves you is to serve him by loving other Christians. And if you don't mind me as somebody who loves the local church, and not this this one, just what the local church can be, should be, is called to be, for me, I think, for the capital C church and Duncan to be healthy, you know, um, I would say all the churches need to be healthy. I, I take no delight in finding out somebody's mad at their pastor or somebody, some church is splitting across town or whatever. I don't like that. I'm not for that. I won't throw fire on that. That's not good. I want all the churches to prosper and do well. But since you have, by God's grace, been prepared and energized to show a sincere love for fellow Christians, especially in your local church, but also outside of it. Therefore, here's the command, it's a direct imperative, fervently love one another, agapao one another. Agapao means to seek other people's highest good. And you know what? I have found out you know, some people are hard to love, but when you start sincerely praying for their good, it becomes easier to like them. I'll say that again, because it only took me like 40 years to figure that out. Some people, meaning some Christians, are hard to love. And when I say that, so many of you are nodding, thinking it's hard to love me. I know that. It's like when I used to tell Jamie, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You believe that? Even, even dad has sinned. Oh yeah, I get that, you know, so. Some people are hard to love. But if you start praying for people and for God's good in their life, they become a lot easier 
to like, to phileo. And I think that's part of our job description as a Christian. Um, now, when he says this, he's thinking about those Christians who have been forced to flee from Antioch and Syria and go all, all over central and northern Turkey. Uh, but they've stayed in clumps. But the love of God that saves people and the love we ought to be showing to God's people transcends color, country, and culture. And there's only one race. Race, I know racial discrimination, racial discrimination is a problem and racial categories are probably a necessity when you do sociology or, you know, count noses in a, in a census or whatever. But there's only one race. It's the human race, right? As far as God's concerned. And this, this love of God in the gospel transcends all those categories and associate our, we should be colorblind when it comes to showing agape love to other believers. And, uh, you know, I think of, I think of Homer and Pam in China on this mission trip. I mean, they, 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 uh, you know, uh, used uh, almost two weeks of their lives, you know, away from their comfortable home to go to, to North, uh, East China and serve the Lord there, and they were in Harbin, and they were told they had to go to Jamasu, which is like, you know, three hours away or four hours away or longer by a, a train. And I didn't go with them there, but I saw pictures later, and they were loving on these people like they'd done them their whole lives. I've got, I know there's a, um, I think after we all got back from those uh, secondary assignments, we all got back to Harbin, uh, the Sunday uh, after that, Sue, you remember this, um, we kind of had church there several blocks away from the hotel we were staying at, kind of in a, we had to get in an elevator, which made me a little nervous. I don't, I'm not usually nervous about elevators, but that particular elevator kind of creeped me out. It's kind of dark, and I thought, I don't want to be in the middle of China in a broken down elevator, you know, stuck somewhere. But we went up there, uh, we uh, had church up there uh, in a house church, and I remember... Uh, was it Megan or somebody who had some distress? And Homer was with his medical training. We laid her down. I didn't. I was kind of crying in the corner there. But uh, Homer, you know, rolled up his sleeves and took care of the problem. So, uh, but I mean, um, there's a picture that I've got somewhere with Pam with, with uh, one or two of those little Chinese girls that uh, somebody had come brought their kids uh, sitting on her lap, and she's just loving on them like they're. Almost like they're Carson, not quite. But I mean, you know, you you see this, you know, and I think the first time I went to Mexico in 91, I'd never been out of the country, and my dad taught me, see America first, and I believe that. There's so much to see and love about America. There's also, for a Christian, there's a huge benefit in doing some kind of evangelistic ministry outside of your culture, because as you work with other believers on that kind of thing, which is where God's heart ultimately really is, You'd be amazed at the connection you feel. And I remember distinctly the first Saturday night as part of a larger American group that I wasn't in charge of, which is great. I don't need to be in charge of everything. I love just being a worker bee for a change, you know. So uh, they kind of assigned us randomly, me and uh, whomever else it was now, uh, to, 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 to Tomas. I'd never seen Tomas before. And I kind of looked at him and said, I'm, I hope we like each other because it's going to be a long week, you know. But, you know, within 24 hours, I said, man, I can't believe this connection I feel to this guy. Is this Stockholm Syndrome or what? You know, that's I'm, that's my first thought, you know. Uh, but it wasn't Stockholm Syndrome. I mean, look it up later. Uh, it's, you know, when somebody kidnaps you, you feel some, if they don't kill you, you feel a strange connection with them. So I'm thinking, I'm stuck in Mexico. I don't speak anything, you know. I've got nothing. 
And I couldn't believe, you know, how, how much, uh, phileo, much less agape I've spent for all these people I was working with. So, uh, I know what that feels like. But in part, God has saved us so we can love on other believers. And that can be, and that can involve tough love. When people are outside of the clear teaching of scripture, morally or doctrinally, you gotta talk to them about it. Okay? You do it in the smallest possible circles. And it usually is better rather than you telling on them to me, so I'll meet the person Christian can do it. It's a lot better if you've got a concern about it, you deal with it first, and then I'll go with you if we need to make the circle a little bit broader. In general, most of the time, that's the way it probably should be done. But hopefully that doesn't happen too often. So this isn't a fuzzy, uh, swampy uh, sentimentality where we just kind of hug on everybody no matter what they're smoking or where they're who they're going home with and all those kind of things. I mean, there are certain... Uh, Standards that we're going to hold, uphold doctrinally and morally that, uh, you know, there's no negotiation there. If people are, you know, violating that on purpose, consciously, willfully, uh, you have to deal with that. Help them, you know. So sometimes it's a tough love. It's not just patting them on the head. On the other hand, we ought to be like Barnabas. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. Why? Because he was so encouraging. He's always looking for things to like. The only reason Paul went into full ministry, really, was because Barnabas encouraged him not to quit. You realize that? You like your New Testament? How would you like to have a 14-book New Testament? Now, this is one of those hypotheticals. This is why you've got to believe in the sovereignty of God. If Barnabas had not encouraged Paul, do you think God would have managed to get Paul to write those letters anyway, somehow? I think God would have went, oh my goodness, I wish he had encouraged him. Now he won't write the letters, you know. God's not limited by our ignorance or our inactivity. But he calls us to actually score points for his team. And one way we do that without going to seminary, no Greek or Hebrew, is fervently loving one another from the heart. For you've been born again spiritually and you can do it. You ever see the water boy? A lot of good theology in that book and that the movie. You can do it. All these biblical commands are given to believers because you can do it, and they're also good in believers because sometimes we don't do it. If we automatically did it, we wouldn't need the commands. You get the logic there? Because you've got something the average unbeliever doesn't have. You've got eternal spiritual life, a new capacity to serve God. And one way you can do that is showing love to other believers, even if they're unlovely, even if they need extra grace, even if they don't agree with you on the color of the carpet or big-time issues like that, right? Uh You've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. It's not like the physical, which is temporary and fragile, but real and important, but not ultimate. This is the word which was preached to you. So God sees his church like that, right? It's not just Tangled Bible Fellowship. It's not just the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not just the American church. In fact, uh, as we've said recently, you know, you've got 80,000 people coming to faith a day. About 70,000 of those live south of the equator. So most of our brothers and sisters are living south of the equator now. And so to the extent the United States was ever the center of evangelical Christianity, it's, it's probably lost that by now, although we still have a pretty good reputation, but can we back it up? You know, seems to me like we're Americanizing Christianity to try to be cool as opposed to staying with the basics and seeing what happens. But when the bullets start flying, that won't be as much fun for people, I don't think. Okay, So the love of God... Through us uh, should be rooted in the love of God to us. We've been given this amazing gift of eternal life and spiritual capacity to serve God. And part of that isn't just if you're a great singer like 
Sonia, I mean, Sonia has a great gift that um, is undeniable. It's something I marvel at. And so she enjoys singing. That's something she's really strong in. But she also, you know, takes nursery duty. She's also working with the, with the library. It's a slow process, but it's happening, right? Yeah, working on it. And when nobody's seeing you and patting you on the head, I mean, it's one thing when everybody in the church is watching you sing. It's another thing when you're emptying out the diaper uh, garbage and the diaper, the diapers, you know what I mean, cleaning up the nursery or whatever after you do your, uh, your duty, right? That kind of thing. So, boom. That's really cool. Uh, love of God through us is based on the love of God to us. Notice, uh, this is the word that was preached to you, and then he's going to say in verse 2, the next chapter, long for the pure milk of the word. You don't just get one dose. The gospel is how you come into faith and come into the family. But then you grow spiritually. And um, the reason I asked Mike to, and technically I didn't ask him. I actually put in the bulletin, he's smart enough to read it, but uh, to read uh, Romans 12 was because instead of being poured into the, into the mold of the world, we're supposed to be transformed how? By renewing our mind, you get that divine viewpoint from God's word. Uh, so God's super grace love for us. God so loved the world. Second Corinthians, uh, he who knew no sin was made to be a sin offering for us through the gospel resulted in our receiving not just a get out of hell freeze card. I, I said get out of hell freeze card. That's kind of weird. That's weird. Um, let's say, this is why I should have stayed with the script here. Get out of Hades free card. We don't just get a get out of hell Hades free card. And like I, I like to say, you know, God is too smart to give you your get out of Hades free card because you might lose yours, you know. Um, I think it was for a pastor appreciation, but somebody gave me an Arby's gift card. Um, Ten dollars, you know, you always hope for fifteen, but I got ten. It's okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't care. That's all coming out. Did I tell you I have a special announcement about my new ministry after this message? So uh, it's uh, going to be Hawaii, Hawaii Bible Church. We've been we, when people when these guys leave pulpits like this one, they, now God always tells them to go to a bigger, fancier, higher-paying church every single time. He never goes calls them to go to a smaller, lower-paying church. It's, it's a weird thing. But, uh, yeah, we got this Arby's gift card, and I actually put it up on this uh, shelf in my house, and I forgot about it. And I was cleaning it out, and I, I felt like I found gold. This is great. You know, I love this thing. Uh, but usually I'm not a big roast beef kind of a guy so much, but uh, I, I'm kind of a uh, an evangelical. Me and Zane, me, me, we're evangelical Christians that love Lent as of the last couple of years because, uh, and, you know, Lent's not something prescribed the New Testament, but historically the church fairly early on, uh, as we approach Easter, what the 40 days leading up to Easter, many Christians will, uh, in an effort to especially consecrate themselves and focus on, appreciate the celebration of Easter, will uh, do certain things during that period, including maybe give up something that they normally, it's, it's a sin, but there's something they enjoy, and they, they won't eat candy, or they won't eat, eat this, or they'll do that. Well, anyway, I think in lieu of, because of that, I know for a fact, because of that, and this is, I get no money from these people. Boy, I'm so off the script, it's unbelievable, but uh, I can't wait to listen to the uh, black box of this message and find out the Holy Spirit was actually in control of this, which I think he is. But anyway, uh, every Lent, I guess, uh, of late, uh, the Catholic Church in Marlowe, it's got a blue roof, it's a metal building, just uh, 
west of uh, 81 as you go through town. As you pass the big church, First Baptist, go off to, to the left, you'll see the Blue Roof Church. This is a long illustration, it's worthless. But anyway, uh, it turns out that during Lent, that church on Friday nights has a fish fry. And for $9, you get all the fish you want. So that's my kind of that's my kind of eating, and the and the Britons have told me about that late last year, too late in Lent to totally enjoy it. But this year, with one exception, I have been there just like a faithful Catholic should be every Friday. <laughs> Catholic means universal, so I believe that in that sense. But uh, yeah, so anyway, but back to Arby's. Uh, I think because of Lent, uh, in part. Uh, Arby's does not usually sell a fish sandwich, but during Lent, and maybe this is coincidental, but I don't think so, they sell this two fish sandwiches for $5 deal, okay? Now, you probably don't know this, but if you get a fried fish sandwich at McDonald's, it's $3.99, and, you know, and that adds up to like almost $8 for two of them, and I'm not going to spend $8 for two fish sandwiches. I'm too cheap to do that, but if you can sell me two for $5, you know, even if I only want one, I'll buy it just on principle, you know? And so, uh, I don't normally go to Arby's very much, but now I got my free $10 thing. And it is, a, it tastes so much better when somebody else pays for it. It was just fantastic. So, um, I got one last night and I got one in, in the refrigerator and that's going to be my lunch and I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, just so you'll know. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure why we exactly went in that direction, but I'm, yeah, but yeah, the love of God through us, uh, is based on the love of God to us. And how do we know God loves us? Because, I mean, I got this problem, and this happened, and that happened, and I've been traumatized by this, that, and the other. And, man, I feel feel your pain, and I've seen people traumatized horrifically. And I have no idea how I'd handle some of the stuff you guys have had to deal with. But God demonstrates, and that, that's present. That's a gnomic present. That's a timeless principle, okay? So on your worst day, you know God has demonstrated his love for you, in that, while you're yet sinner, Christ died for you. Okay, that's that's enough. In fact, James leaves us in a song regularly. This cross is enough. And for me, I've always liked the idea: of put whatever your present trauma is, and it may be horrific, but see that in your mind's eye against the background of the cross and the resurrection. But that will shrink it down a little bit. That that allows you to put it in perspective. So what is the gospel? Well, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says the gospel is the good news. It's not the good news, not good news, Anthony, that we've sinned and we've offended God and even at our best we're less than we should be and we can't fix it and we're going to die and go to hell. That's not good news. That's bad news. That's the black background. But the good news is that despite that, Christ died substitutionary atonement sacrifice for our sins and he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. So you want to look to a resurrected person if you're concerned with life after death. And he's the one. And as we say, because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. In fact, he says, unless you believe I am he, the Christ, you'll die in your sins in John 8. But he's not dead anymore. And it's important to stress that we believe in a crucified, resurrected Savior because a dead Savior is not going to get you from Oklahoma to heaven, but the risen one can, and he's the only one who can. Well, the only one who can. So, and through faith in him, uh, you receive him as Savior, and God saves you. And when he saves you, you're saved not just so you can have that free ticket that you might lose, so he won't give it to you. He's holding it for you uh, in your place. You don't have to worry about losing it. We've been saved in part to connect with other believers 
and to show love to them. And uh, as somebody who loves a local church, especially this one, but all of them, really, just the concept of the local church, um, primarily that happens in a local church context. I, when when people uh, decide here, there, or anywhere, I'm just going to, I've been bummed out by the pastor or by the elders or by somebody in the Sunday school room or the music or they want something. So we're going to just drop out of church. We're going to just meet, watch Charles Stanley and pray as a family. You know, you're blowing it. You're blowing it. Uh, how can you say that in Duncan? I mean, we've got 199 different churches, including the left-handed bowler church. You know, if you don't like one, plug into one that, you know, is better and then make it even better still. I remember when uh, we very reluctantly were letting the Birches leave and go to Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I don't think he needed to hear this, but I said, Michael, you know, when you go look for another church, um, don't just go to the, necessarily go to the biggest one with the most creature comforts, even though God may lead you to go to that church. I mean, uh, consider maybe going to a church like this size where you kind of know everybody by name, and if you want to get plugged in, you can really get to know everybody pretty well, and that's really what it's designed to be. And to me, the local church is a laboratory God's designed to help you learn how to love sinners saved by grace just like you, even when you don't agree with them on everything. Or you wouldn't wear their hair like them, or you wouldn't do this, that, and the other, all these superficial things that sometimes bug us too much. So I'm a big proponent for going to a local church, not because a, a local church pays for James's salary and mine, but I felt like when I was just a dental student, when I was before a dental student, just a biology student, we we got married and went to church every time the door was open because we, we love the local church, you know? And that's where it's at, I think. Getting choked up here. Let's move from yellow to white, shall we? From uh, the first part of the passage, we're to love others because we're loved by God. We love God and others by loving and consistently with loving and living the Word of God. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Therefore... Therefore, means look back and see what I just said because it's based on the fact that you've been loved by God and you're called to love uh, others. Uh, because of that, put aside anything that doesn't look like love. You know, just whittle away anything that doesn't look like a buffalo and then you'll end up with a buffalo there. Okay? <laughs> to shorten the, the joke there. Uh, put aside, and he's saying this because some of these folks have been uh, malicious and some have been deceitful and some have been hypocrites and some have been uh, covetous, and some have been slandering or gossiping about people negatively, and we've probably all done some of those on a bad day. Maybe we've done all of them on the same day. But he's telling us not to do that, not because we're not really saved, but because saved people shouldn't do that. We should be loving each other. And uh, to love is, and this is a negative command, but notice for every negative is almost a corresponding, always a corresponding positive, so we're going to get a positive slant on this. But Dr. Duwell and actually, you don't graduate till May, so technically you're not a doctor yet. But we're, we're saying that in faith. I'm a man of faith, and I believe you're actually going to stumble over the finish line here and get it. Now, now I think Brian didn't stumble over any finish line, you know. I, uh, he's been a kind of a class, world-class medical student, and we all know he's going to be a world-class orthopedic surgeon. Hurry up. Well, yeah, get it over with. I know you're for that. But... In honor of our medical doctor here, our almost medical doctor, we're going to tell you to uh, beware of what uh, theologians call the medhes, spiritual virus. Actually, theologians don't do that. I say that. It sounds like mess, but he's talking about malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So let's call that the M-D-H-E-S or the medhes virus. Malice is just a general 
kaka is, is what the Greek word is. Sorry. It's just a general term for evil. You know, just don't be looking to, to be evil or mean or nasty to people. Now, sometimes you have to explain things to people and they don't like it, but, you know, and my tone can get really bad. And I, that's, that's my problem. You know, I think I, I speak the truth, but sometimes my tone can be more sarcastic or whatever it needs to be. But in general, just decide you're going to try to be a blessing to everybody uh, in your local church and those believers outside the local church, too. That's just a general term, kind of an umbrella for the rest of these. Deceit is purposely misleading others. And it's, you know, about anything. But it, uh, typically, I think he's thinking of more maybe self-righteous kind of sins where uh, I don't know, maybe in a sharing time, somebody's talking about prayer, their prayer life and you kind of uh, give stories about your penetrating prayer life, and in fact, the only time you pray is every other month when you come to prayer meeting, and that wouldn't be a good thing, trying to mislead us about how spiritual you are, or other things, misleading others about things for personal gain, that kind of thing uh, could be a problem. Um, H, Metes, uh virus hypocrisy, is pretending to be something you're not. So there's an overlap conceptually between some of these, and certainly the, the right, self-righteous Pharisees were talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount kind of thing. And I thought about that uh, quite a bit there. There's a lot of connections there. Uh, why would it be possible, even plausible, that Peter might occasionally deal with things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Why is it possible, even plausible, Peter might think those are important? Because he heard, Phyllis, Peter heard Jesus preach Sermon on the Mount, and he preached that message lots of times, lots of places. That was too good to do just once. The Matthew version is one specific case. Remember, uh, judge not hypercritically or hypocritically, lest you be judged, sure, by others, but ultimately by God. Uh, that's what he's saying there. He's not saying make no value judgments. But uh, envy, that's an interesting one. You know, uh, envy is the New Testament version of coveting. You know, you've got the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, no other gods before me, no images of God. Don't take the name of God in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Okay, what does Paul say in his testimony uh, in Romans and Philippians about the Ten Commandments? He said, yeah, really? I did the first nine as far as overtly, concretely. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't try to make images of God or anybody else that I bowed down and worshipped. He said, I was pretty good out externally on the first nine, but we got to coveting. Coveting is is passionately kind of obsessing over. It's lusting over something somebody else has. Their wife, their house, their car, their manservant, stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's it's refusing to be uh, satisfied with what you are in Christ and what God's given you and illegitimately lusting over something somebody else has. And uh, I can honestly say, I don't, I mean, I, I look at other, I look at like a, a Randy Sutherland kind of a guy, who, or, or James uh, Mitchell, you know, just these guys are wonderful speakers. They're incredible musicians. I mean, if you had, if you had uh, James and Randy in the same room, God would not allow you guys both to be in the same room because some ISIS guy could roll a grenade there and you'd both be gone. And the whole church, capital C, would be messed up, you know. Like you you three, put Billy Graham in there. You could never, you three never, never get in the same room. You know, 
it's, you know, it's like the Joint Chiefs of Staff never actually get in the same room. You know that? Because uh, if somebody rolls a grenade, they're all gone. So, uh, but I think of something like that. And I, I, I marvel at some of these people's gifts, but I never kind of, I don't think I ever lust after them, you know? I re- realize I'm a one-trick pony. I'm just a Bible teacher guy, and that's all I've got, you know? Uh, kind of like a softball player. I didn't walk a lot of people, did I? I went whole season, didn't walk anybody. And then I'd walk three people in the game because guess what? The, the situation in the game called for that. People say, he's losing his touch. I, I walk those guys on purpose. I don't want them in a home run. I'd rather walk them, especially if there's nobody on base every time. You know, then you got a double play scenario. Now you know all the secrets. You know, I guess I lose my reward for that, don't I? Uh, slander, this is the one, uh, I think that I'm capable of, maybe, and maybe some of you are. Uh, not so much, I don't go home and slander you guys. In fact, I typically, I try not to say anything negative about anybody at home. I really don't. Because uh, I want Debbie to like you. Or this is just my, <laughs> you know, I always felt like that. I'm willing to fall on those grenades because eventually you'll get over it and you'll start liking me again. So, but um, I do think it's easy. I think it's easy, easy for ministers to slander at a personal level other ministers or other churches and stuff like that. And I, I don't think like that. Of course, I'm not rich or famous. That so may be the problem there. But it's slandering is kind of spinning to a third party things you've seen or think other people have done or said or think to try to make the other person feel bad. You'd never say it to them, and if it's a problem, you ought to go tell them about it. You know, if it's an objective problem, it's sin, you ought to tell them about it. I, I shouldn't be, you know, Eric, come here, Eric, come here. I want to talk to you about Steve Skinner. Why? You know, you're talking to the wrong guy. If i got an issue with you, Steve, I need to call you or at least maybe send you an email. That'd be a lot easier, right? That's not fair, but uh, people do that. So, by the way, instead of... Uh, sharing the sins and failures of others, I think Peter says we ought to be smothering them. Love smothers a multitude of transgressions. We'll see that later in chapter 4, right? So, we love God and others by loving and living God's Word, the Word of God, and we need to put away all this stuff that tends to kind of be what one commentator called community, and he meant really unity-destroying vices, you know, malice generally, that's the way you come to church looking for something not to like. Or you interact with Christians at the Thanksgiving. Now one year, you know, we had this uh, citywide Thanksgiving service. And uh, I remember one year, um, we had a little problem. At least me and Homer thought it was a problem. And this wasn't slander, this was just a problem. <laughs> it wasn't an S, it was a P. Uh we had the they had a video of the Mormon Tabernacle. Maybe it was just an audio, but they had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for the prelude. They had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing patriotic movies, at, uh, patriotic songs. Stop me! I may kill again if I say movies when I mean songs. Just insert song. But you remember this Homer? We went, we went to the, it was uh, the church on beach. We went to Thanksgiving, and not just you and me. It's just we just happened to bump into each other there. But, uh, yeah, I, I noticed it. It was even in the bulletin. You know, we had several local ministers, including, I think I said something or prayed or something at this service. But we had this citywide Christians ceremony for Thanksgiving, the night before Thanksgiving, I think it was. Or maybe it was the Tuesday. Who cares, Brad? Just get on with it. Okay, anyway, they were playing stuff sung by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Now, it's a free country, and I believe in the First Amendment. But, you know, Mormons, Anthony's dad's a Mormon, but, you know, they have a different conception of God, Jesus, sin, salvation, and heaven. So other than that, they're really pretty close. 
but they're not, and they've got a right, and God bless them. They're very, they tend to vote Republican. They tend to be clean cut, not a lot of tattoos and stuff. But that's a problem for you. Um, you know, God bless them. But uh, you know, I didn't check off on that. They didn't ask me about that. But I thought that's just not a good choice. <laughs> Couldn't you find like the, I don't know, the Pat Boone singers or something, anything? But why get the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Because technically they're not kind of where we are. But that's just me. So anyway, I didn't think that was slander. You had to deal with stuff like that. But you know what? Again, when that thing was over, I felt like this pastor, had, the host pastor picked that. Uh, no, he didn't ask me. I didn't tell him, don't ask, don't tell. I thought, if he's ever in charge of it again, I'm going to talk to him kindly sometime before the service and say, this is just me. I don't get a vote, but I don't think you ought to use the Mormon Tabernacle Choir to be singing before the Christian <laughs> Duncan area Thanksgiving service. That's just me. So, uh, but um, it didn't happen. So we didn't have a big conflict about it. But I just thought that's just not good. So I remember talking to Homer about that. Uh, but yeah, look at verse three. Hope, uh, look at verse two. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. We're talking about the word in verse twenty-five. This is the word that's preached to you that includes the gospel, but it's bigger than that. Uh, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And when you think about spiritual growth motivated by the word of God. Bible Ballistics is based on that principle, right? In the Word radio program, based on that principle, the local church is supposed to be the first thing the apostles did was the teaching of the apostles. So that's the kind of the basic thing that's uh, the foundation for everything else. Uh, but what does that involve? Well, you know, typically people will quote Second uh, Timothy 3, and I love that passage, all scriptures given by expression of God, profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, instruction, in righteousness that the believer might be mature. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the power of the Word of God and the glories of the Word of God for spiritual growth. But a passage that's not commonly referred to in this discussion is John 8. Uh, and in the middle of the I'm the light of the world discourse, we read, as he spoke these things about being light of the world in Jerusalem, Jesus, uh, many came to believe in him. A good many of the people, not all of them, but a good many people, not two or three, but 15 or 20 or 50. So Jesus was saying that those who believe, these are brand new baby believers, if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, if you long like newborn babies for the milk of the word, then you'll be disciples of mine. You'll be students, followers of mine. Your food is the word of God. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now you hear that part of that quoted by everybody, politicians from every stripe talk about you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now once they find out Jesus said that, they won't be able to say that anymore because they might offend somebody, but he's the one who said it. And it does work, but it's not mechanical. Uh, the more exposure you have to the word, if you're not teachable to it, will just harden you to it. Uh, Howard Hendricks used to warn us that seminary can be a sit, soak, and sour experience if you're engaging at this only at an academic level. And they want you to be able to conjugate the verb, so you have to, in Greek and Hebrew, so you have to do it academically at some level. But he says, if you're just mechanically going through this, this will make you a worse hardened, self-righteous, self-impressed person as opposed to a Christ-like Christian. So it's always about relationship, not just religiosity. It's not just about rituals. Rituals can be important, but not if they're just done mechanically. The Pharisees were all about rituals. And I thought about the comparison between prayer and spiritual growth. Prayer, this is my working definition, prayer is a grace channel of communication through which believers seek and submit to God's will, realizing that our prayers are part of the process where where he works out his will. So that that makes it exciting because it is meaningful, 
But if I forget to pray or get the room number wrong, it's not going to mess God's plan up either. Spiritual growth is a grace mechanism through which believers, Homer Cox, Lendl Smith, just put your name in the blank, more intimately fellowship with God directed by the intake and application of his word. If you're trying to figure out what God's saying to you, take a look at what he's already said. He's not going to lead you contrary to the word of God. Okay, uh, So that's that's a check. But it has to be a, a relational thing as we abide in Christ, not just an academic thing. It's got to involve the head and the heart. And that's kind of the whole premise of Tanglewood Bible Fellowship. And we're not the only ones, believe me. Verse 3, again, is, all this is predicated on the fact that he's talking to believers. If, first class in the original, since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. What does that mean? You've been born again of spiritual, eternal seed. Verse 23, uh, this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, put away stuff that's the antithesis of love and commit as an important part of your love for God to love fellow believers, especially in your local church. So let me end this way. And this is... a. Uh, a spiritual litmus test that Carol can use or Maxine can use or Lloyd can use or Debbie McCoy can use. It's a self-diagnostic thing. Nobody else can do this for you. But think about it. If our lives, and I mean your life and my life, but if our lives truly are all about Him, really centered on Christ, people who are self-righteous jerks who can't get along with other Christians, they think they're extremely spiritual when they break up a couple churches and start one of their own and manage to run everybody off except the wife and the kids that are too young to leave, you know. And you end up with people like that. Uh, even worse, some of them stay and you can't get them to leave, you know. And they're like just infectious viruses in, a, in church situations. Now, Tanglewood hasn't had a lot of that, but we're not immune to that. And listen, anytime you shine the light, you're going to attract some bugs, okay? It happens. It always happens. You can't, you can't keep it from and you, you pray that, you know, you can pray, help them. But watch this. If, if our lives are truly all about Him, we will consistently, because we're committed to do it, live a life of love toward His. Even people who have a different opinion than you do about non-essential things, okay? Uh, Wednesday night I said, I typically don't like to use my Bible as a desk to write stuff on, but I did it this morning in the foyer when I got some stuff from Gene. I couldn't, I was gonna, not gonna forget, you know? And I don't say that trait because of the verse that says, Thou shalt not write on a written text version of the Bible. I just generally don't like to use this. I do use it as a file cabinet, but I do not use it. <laughs> you know, So that's stricter than Scripture, right? I like to use a songbook to write, write on. But I'm not going to be, I'm not going to look askance at you if you use your Bible to write on. I don't think you're less than I am. I just don't feel like I should do that. So, But if our lives really are about Christ and He's at the center, it's like that. We ought to be committed to love other people, even though it's not always easy to love everybody else. It's not always easy. Is it always easy to love Connor? Hey, will you be honest with me for one minute, Zach? How old is he now on Friday? So he's 11? He's sneaking up on teenagerhood, right? you got a couple more years. Is it always easy to love Connor? No. Really? You're kidding. How about, how about Katie? Is it, are they your brothers and sisters? Yes, they are. I've, I've, I, I know they were. But you love them all the time, but sometimes it's hard to like them, right? Hard to love them at a, at a feeling, emotional level. You know, I get that, you know? Some of you people can drive me absolutely crazy. Just so you know, okay? Sometimes it's like juggling. You know, me and, me and James are like CIA agents. 
CIA agents. It's not the stuff you see and know about we have to deal with. There's all this other stuff that bubbles up from time to time you got to deal with. And uh, it's funny how many versions of the uh, bulletin. I don't know if Maxine notices this, but quite often between Friday when she does it and Sunday when you need to see it, Somebody has to change the bulletin multiple times because we don't want anybody's nose out of joint, you know. And, but I'm happy to do it. At least that's my official statement. Uh, but I, and I don't do it just because I'll get fired. I don't think I'll get fired for something like that. But I do it because I, you know, I want to show respect and love for people when they do something or say something. I'll give you an example. I've been James, James's biggest fan as he's done his master's program and he's going to graduate this semester. And we're going to go, I mean, the whole church is going to get the bus, we're all going to go up and see him graduate and stuff. But, uh, you know, we typically put the high school graduates about this time of the year in the bulletin. If they're associated with the youth group at any level, you know, it's been uh, Riley and Caitlin have kind of been the two real solid ones, and we've got a couple others, and we're happy to put them there. But a lot of times I've forgotten about the college students, and I remembered, uh, you know, Shelby's graduating from Cameron, so I need to put that. But I, and I knew you were graduating. I, it's almost like a different category. So, uh, I had to be reminded, and James didn't do it. Somebody else very close to James reminded me, oh, by the way, very nicely, you know, by the way, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I'm going to break my, break my back to make sure that's in there. But, uh, it's not always easy to love one another, which is precisely why God wants you to plug into a good local church. And not necessarily this one, you know, but this is one of them, right? Uh, so if our lives are about him, we're going to consistently be committed to loving those who are his. If our lives are too much about us, uh, then, you know, that's the that's wrong, wrong diagram. I meant to get the diagram. <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's the one I wanted right there. Yeah. If our lives are too much about us, we're going to tend to rationalize not living a life of love because really we end up overrating our personal preferences and if people don't, you know, uh, agree with our personal preferences then, uh, you know, we can kind of justify it and think we're more spiritual than they are, and that's not a good thing. So I'll end with this. Believers living a life of love for Jesus will be committed to loving those who are his, and that includes all of us who are part of TBF and also includes people who aren't part of TBF who love the Lord and are believers. We ought to be committed to loving them too. Okay? Father, please empower us to do that as we focus not on the loveliness or lack of loveliness of those around us, including the pastor of this church, as we focus on all you are and all you've done in love for us and all you've given us. So empower us to be love givers and encouragers to one another in our local church and also in the body of Christ around Duncan. We're blessed in a community like this to have a lot of believers uh, in the school system, at the hospital, in our neighborhoods, and they may never want to come to TBF, and TBF might not even be a good fit for them. But we ought to love and encourage them especially. Um, the whole world we love, but certainly especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray you empower us to do that and encourage us to see how we can do that better, each one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.